0: Menu Feed, a bi weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor, covering menu food and drink for both brands. Today I'm talking with Peter Ferrand, Chief Food and Beverage Innovation Officer at Smoky Bones. As locations reopened for dine and service, Peter felt that customers needed a little more variety in addition to the restaurant's signature barbecue ribs, pulled pork, and brisket. So he diversified Smoky Bones' menu, creating what he calls a protein candy store, where guests have the choice of many different cuts, global flavor profiles, and formats, from Korean pork belly pops to a giant chuck rib with chimichurri sauce. More seafood choices and a veggie burger have also joined the lineup, and two virtual brands, the Burger Experience and the Wing Experience, are platforms for more experimentation. Listen as Peter shares Smokey Bone's culinary direction and how he is controlling costs and managing supply with meat prices and sourcing challenges on the rise. Welcome Peter, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Absolutely, Pat, thank you so much for having me.
0: So let's start by you telling me a little bit about your culinary journey. What were the steps along the way that brought you to your current position? at Smoky Bones as Chief Food and Beverage Innovation Officer.
1: Sure. Well, I had a, uh, I had a pretty diverse uh, background kind of growing up, especially in my early years. I did a lot of um, kind of a la carte um, and mostly fine dining in the beginning. And then transitioned to doing more hotels and resorts and um, country clubs and private clubs and uh, did a little casino stint as well. And then later on, you know, probably in the last 15 or 20 years, more of um, kind of a multi-unit, you know, corporate environment. And so, you know, the the appreciation for me is that, you know, when you're the chef in the kitchen and you're there, you can compensate most of the time for, you know, recipes and things like that. But, you know, as you grow and you have more restaurants and things, I think it's important to have, you know, standardized recipes and things. So um, really kind of, you know, done those things over the last 20 years or so and kind of ended up here with Smoky Bones.
0: How many locations are there?
1: We're at 62 currently, which, uh, yeah, 60 kind of brick and mortar, and then we've got two uh, ghost kitchens that we've recently opened over the last year or so.
0: Great. So what would you say differentiates Smokey Bones from other full-service barbecue restaurants?
1: Uh, That's a good question. And I think, you know, Smokey Bones in general over the last two years that I've I've been uh, with the company, so uh, in the end of July, I'll be there two years, from a brand positioning standpoint, um, really... Try to kind of uh, add more layers into the menu and fire grill and um, different techniques and things. Because I think from, a, from just a barbecue restaurant, um, we want to be known for more than that. And that's kind of where we're trying to take the brand positioning to more of a meat is what we do, that protein forward kind of restaurant. The uh, typical barbecue customer, it's not a high preference you know, kind of segment. So rounding out the menu helps us from a, you know, from a frequency standpoint.
0: Right. Did you ever have barbecue experience before you came there, like working as a pitmaster or anything like that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. uh, I did uh, a stint in in Mississippi and and Tennessee and then in Texas. And uh, my actually my old neighbor in Mississippi um, was a Memphis May, Memphis and May competitor. Oh, cool. So I did some, yeah, I did some competitions with him. I did Memphis and May with him and some things down in Tunica where the casino was and South Avon and things. And then obviously, you know, Texas was uh, was a huge barbecue, uh, barbecue spot, but we actually had a barbecue restaurant in the in the casino in Mississippi.
0: Oh, cool. Well, coming out of the pandemic, you felt that customers needed more variety on the menu and you created what you called a protein candy store. I just love that name. <laughs> but what does it actually mean, and how is it reflected on the menu? Yeah, so I,
1: I think your your question about you know from a typical barbecue restaurant versus you know kind of directionally where where we've been headed you know in the last you know year um, is kind of layering in you know what you traditionally think about barbecue, right? So ribs, pulled pork, brisket, barbecue chicken. Um, And then trying to round that out, you know, we've so we've added in, you know, what I would consider protein forward, you know, appetizer salad, etc. So, you know, protein as, you know, pork belly, um, pork chop, you know, big beef rib, things like that. And then also adding in, um, you know, more uh, poultry, you know, chicken sandwiches have gotten hot, the Mm -hmm. wing side of it, and then also seafood. So we introduced shrimp probably back in September of 19, and then that did well. So then we layered in some mahi and things. So I think sometimes when you say to people, you know, hey, you're a meat forward, restaurant or protein forward, they always kind of think steak and beef, but, you know, just kind of rounded it and out to the other protein categories.
0: You also introduced some new cuts of meat, which you already mentioned a few of. Some of them are really large. So how is that, you know, I guess working with your customers and with the meat prices, which are so high
1: right now. Yeah, and actually, you know, and I, I think everybody's kind of going through these commodity pressures right now and supply pressures and things. You know, we fortunately um, took a position, you know, I would say before, you know, a lot of this volume and things came back in. So we kind of did a, you know, did some buys earlier on um, and then they've kind of introduced them, you know, when it kind of makes sense. So we kind of purchased in a valley when the prices were a little bit lower. Um, I certainly don't think like the big beef rib and some things that we would be able to do it right now, just from a cost uh, standpoint, as well as supply. Um, So I think, you know, kind of trying to get out in front of it um, and and doing it when it makes sense from a timing standpoint. So going forward,
0: are you trying to do some more cost-effective cuts?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think, you know, being that, you know, that protein candy store that we talked about and diversifying and, and adding it in, it's, it's, It somewhat sounds counterintuitive to add more proteins in, but I think it takes a little bit of pressure off of certain areas of the the menu. Um, So we've actually got a few things coming up. Um, You know, we had mentioned that that pork porterhouse and then also looking in the fall, we're actually going to do a pork shank. Hmm. um so a slow kind of sous vide uh type preparation and things just something you know i think super seasonal um also you know it's a little bit it's a little bit bigger than than most items but you know the cost of it is is pretty effective
0: mm-hmm. which which cuts are the most expensive or which types of red meat i guess pork or pork and beef both high now or
1: one. Yeah, so it's, it's it's interesting, you know, right now, you know, on the beef side of it, um, it it's just almost everything, Pat, right now is just, it's crazy. Usually you'll see um, certain spikes and certain cuts and, you know, retail, you know, grocery store pretty much drives, you know, that whole market. But right now, you know, demand in retail is, is still high. Food service is coming back, you know, that in-house dining customer is coming back. So, you know, really there's not a lot of great deals on anything out there, even the seafood and fish piece. Um, it's just, there's so much pressure everywhere, you know, uh, beef tenderloin. I've seen, you know, 19, 20, $21 for a whole tenderloins where traditionally right now, those would be, you know, eight, nine, $10. So it's, it's, it's almost doubled. Wow. You know. Have you had to raise menu
0: prices because of that? or Are you trying to just absorb the costs?
1: We've, you know, we've, that's a that's a great question. So we've taken a little bit of price. We just had a, a menu um, change over in the beginning of June. So about three weeks ago, we did take um, some price on things that, uh, you know, we were probably lagging on and, you know, that we had chose to kind of ride it out. There were other things that we just, you know, we just had to take a little bit of price on, you know, obviously everybody's been talking about chicken wings lately. Um, fortunately, we had a good purchasing person that, you know, got us into a good contract, but They're tight. supplies tight out there. So we took a little bit of price on that Um, and just really just trying to spread it out. Some things I I think, you know, we can try and absorb, um, but but other things we're going to for sure have to pass on to the guest.
0: Tell me a little bit about the global flavors that you're experimenting with. I know that we, um, you know, when we interviewed you for a story, you mentioned several different global flavors like Korean and other Asian flavors. So let's hear a little bit more about that.
1: Sure. I, I, you know, I, it kind of goes back to my original conversation with James O'Reilly, our, our CEO, when he was, you know, we were kind of talking about, you know, joining the executive team. You know, I grew up in the Northeast um, and kind of upstate New York. And, you know, when you said, you know, when I was growing up, barbecue to me was, you know, throw some hot dogs and hamburgers on a grill or chicken or, or steak. It for sure wasn't low and slow, you know, barbecue and, you know, whole hog or pork shoulder or brisket. Um, and I and I think when you ask people, you know, right now, you know, what's barbecue mean to you? Every single culture, ethnic, you know, around the around the globe, if you're cooking over wood or charcoal or live fire, I think you know barbecue means different things to, to different people. So um, we kind of did a little temperature check, you know, at Smoky Bones, thinking that this global, you know, world barbecue um, kind of concept would work um with a pork belly pop that we did with a little korean barbecue sauce um and it did well and then so we we decided to um utilize some of these sauces that we had brought in for our virtual concept and so we did a korean barbecue we did a teriyaki um we did a chinese like a char siu mm-hmm. and then we did a jamaican jerk as well as a spicy mango tandoori and we applied those to our to our st louis ribs and Feedback was was fantastic on it. I think, you know, going back to your question about you know traditional barbecue, um, we've still got the Memphis dry rub and we've got the sweet and tangy glaze and that Kansas City style, but adding in those you know kind of globally influenced flavors for sure gave the guests variety. Um, it's helped with frequency. Transactions are up. So um, all so far so good. You know, with with from a from a brand positioning standpoint,
0: sounds like a win win
1: for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what, too, we've got a lot of long-term, you know, GMs and kitchen managers and, and staff at Smokey Bones. And I think seeing these flavors and then seeing them, it, it, the excitement and the conversation is, is out there and, and it's great. You know, we're joking around, usually, uh, you know, pipeline innovation and ops usually don't kind of see eye to eye, but the operators are are complementing the food um, and they're excited about it, and when they're excited about it and they get behind it, it it's it's huge for the guest, and um, it's kind of like auto, you know, advertising.
0: Did it take a lot of training at each location to get the flavor profiles right?
1: We actually, you know, we had done um, we had done some flavor work. You know, I had uh, been involved in that virtual concept that we started uh, with 50 flavors of wings. So we basically had these base sauces. Um, already in the store that we were making for the wings, um, and then really just did a neutral dry rub on the ribs, smoked them, and then just applying that sauce, um, basically a and, a and a finishing sauce. The flavors are so bright and intense that it, it, the pork just really kind of soaks it up. It was really uh, kind of easy from an execution standpoint.
0: Well, you talked a little bit about um, some of the options you have, like food and chicken for people who don't want to eat red meat, but are there other um, options as well? Are you working on any plant-based ideas?
1: We've, we actually, we, that uh, June menu drop, we just uh, actually swapped out one of our veggie items. So we just put a killer uh, veggie patty from a manufacturer in Austin um, called Good Seed. And it's just a, it's an amazing veggie patty, super vegetable forward, um, definitely not a meat replacement. It's uh, hemp seed and chia seed and seaweed and sprouted grains and uh, sprouted beans and things. Um, so that, you know, that, that's on there. I, I actually, I would eat that, you know, anyway, whether I was trying to be healthy or not, it's just a, it's a, it's a great item. Um, and then also I had mentioned, you know, we we had started using shrimp. Um, back in the fall of 19, that went over really well. Um, The only other seafood item at the time that we had was uh, we had salmon. But then with the introduction of the shrimp and it went well, we added mahi-mahi in this past February, kind of just before going into that Lent season. So that really, we saw a lift on uh, the whole season of of Lent and those items have been doing great. So really kind of rounds out the menu.
0: Are you looking at other seafood items to add?
1: Yeah, we, we are, you know, it's, I've got, you know, obviously some relationships and some other concepts that I've worked with and, and some things, you know, kind of are a natural fit, you know, some of the more steaky kind of meaty fish, you know, whether that's, you know, swordfish or, um, you know, maybe some of the shark items or things. It just, you know, I, I think for smoky bones, kind of dipping our toe in the water um, with shrimp kind of mainstream and then mahi mainstream. just got to figure out if if there's some other items there that make sense. I think for sure, tuna uh, of some sort, whether that's, you know, an entree or a sandwich or something like that, I think for sure there's some opportunities there.
0: When you introduce these new things, uh, new proteins, do you do it on the appetizer menu sometimes? I know that people are more apt to try something when it's a smaller portion or an appetizer.
1: Sure, no, I think that that's a great point for sure. You know, and to me, it's kind of where you you see usually like an independent restaurant. You know, from a chef standpoint, that's usually where you see a lot of the creativity and the flexibility because it's it is a little bit smaller portion, the price points a little bit less. So you've got some opportunity there. Uh-huh. But for the for the mahi, for an example, um, we did put it on as an entree, but we also did it in a uh, as part of the taco program in our street tacos. Ooh. And then also as a sandwich. So a little bit of a, you know, a price point change there for us. Um, and then also we're fortunate, you know, we're on this kind of, uh, we got back to doing innovation and dropping LTOs and, and menu inserts. So that's another area where, you know, at least we can kind of, uh, kind of change it up a little bit and let the, let the customer kind of decide if it's, if it's something they're interested in hopefully it makes it to the, to the handheld menu. Right.
0: So you talked a little bit about the wing uh, virtual brand that you created, um, but you also have the burger experience that was launched before the pandemic, but you revamped it this year. Can we talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Absolutely. So back uh, kind of pre-COVID in the fall of 19, we had, uh, we had a position that was kind of created, uh, it was a marketing position called, uh, it was a revenue or growth hacker. Um, the initial kind of thought behind, you know, the burger experience when we launched it was just an incremental, you know, kind of revenue generator, um, really kind of speed to market. They really wanted to kind of push it and get it up and going and and test the water. And obviously this was, this was pre COVID, you know, Uber Eats was around and the third party kind of platforms, but really just kind of wanted to see, you know, what it would, uh, what it would do. So we really didn't put a whole lot of time and, and horsepower behind it. We didn't do a dedicated website, um, no dedicated packaging and things. And then with COVID and, and everything else, we really decided to put a little bit more uh, time and effort you know, behind the burger experience. So really kind of, I would call it a 2.0 version, really went back to the drawing board with it, changed the bun, changed the burger, changed the size of the burger, changed the cooking procedure for the burger. Somewhat of a simplification, um, but at the same time, a little bit, uh, a little bit more variety. Price point was a little bit better, so I, you know, all in all, so far so good with that.
0: How many items do you have on that uh, menu for the burger experience?
1: There's actually so there's there's seven burgers, right? So there's five what I would consider, you know beef based and then we added that veggie burger in there as well as uh, you know we kind of I don't want to say we joined the chicken uh, sandwich wars but we've got a a southern style kind of breaded uh, chicken sandwich that we're doing in there Um, just to kind of you know round out the menu they're they're so popular right now and it it gives uh, gives the guests a little bit of variety
0: right how do they travel? Do you have special packaging for burgers or?
1: We actually, we're trying to keep it simple. And, you know, some of the the bigger folks out there, they're already doing a great job in that burger se- segment, you know, kind of five guys model where, you know, put it into, you know, into that foil wrap, nice and hot and juicy and, and let, let that product kind of, uh, you know, stay moist. Um, you know, I really kind of try to look at it from a, a simple standpoint and it's like, we know it's going to take between 30 minutes and an hour typically for the third party to get there. Right. So warm and moist is better than, you know, cold and dry. Right. So um, we, we know there's going to be a little bit of heating up or, you know, that kind of transition from when it delivers to when they eat it, but just, you know, just trying to keep it simple.
0: And the wings concept is still going strong as
1: well. Yeah. The the, the wings have been, wings have really been great. you know, we were big into wings with Smoky Bones, you know, prior, you know, we've had the smoker, so we're doing a smoked wing and then we were doing a, you know, a regular wing as well. But the proliferation and the popularity of, of wings and they they hold well, they travel well. Um, and then, you know, kind of industry leading 50 flavors, there's nobody out there kind of doing what we're doing. And we were really able to do that because of the pantry that we had from from Smoky Bones and the SKUs and the sauces that we had. Um, but yeah, it's been great. I think the only, you know, the only challenge or well, the only challenge that we've had, everybody's got capacity issues right now with, with, uh, with wings. You mm. know. So I think we're limited by how much that can grow until, you know, industry and manufacturers can kind of catch up. We had originally, I think we had forecasted to be up, I don't know, maybe 30 or 35% from usage from, you know, 19 and we've already exceeded that. So we're we're scrambling to try to find product
0: right are they do they all operate out of existing locations of smoky bones
1: yeah so out of the out of the 60 smoky bones that we have um we're operating those two virtual brands within that same you know within that same footprint so we've got smoky bones going live and then burger experience as well as the winning experience is operating out of there oh great yeah. And then the, the ghost the ghost kitchens, a um, little bit more of a limited menu on the Smoky Bone side. And then they're doing the full wing experience and the full burger experience, but a little bit less items on the Smoky Bone side. So two of the locations are just ghost kitchens. Yeah, we, we did one in uh, Chicago with the Kitchen United folks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the other one most recently, we opened uh, this past May in Columbus, Ohio with, uh, with Cloud Kitchen. Oh, okay.
0: Let's talk a little bit about beverages because beverage is part of your title. So what's happening on the drink side of the menu and what are some of the innovations that are happening there?
1: Yeah, and actually this is one of those kind of, you know, a pull back, push forward kind of thing, you know, with with COVID, you know, obviously the beverage, the on-premise, you know, portion of the beverage program really suffered. But we had already started pulling back, I would say, you know, kind of the fall of 19 when I first started, just starting to reduce SKUs and trying to um, just kind of make that a little bit more of an efficient program anyway. Mm -hmm. The Smoky Bones menu had really, the beverage side of it really had gotten large. I think we probably had 35 to 40, you know, signature cocktails. Wow. Which, yeah, and you, you look in a casual segment, you're probably on average, you know, 15 or so is probably the number. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there was there was some muddling and there was, you know, multiple ingredients and builds and things. And I think from a complexity standpoint, we've made it uh, challenging on the on the operators and the bartenders to actually make a, you know, make a drink. So really kind of pulled back um, on that, reduced uh, the mixed drink portion of it, as well as started to pull back on tap handles and draft beer and, and you know, wine by the glass, just trying to offer, you know, fresher product make it a little bit simpler for the guests to, um, you know, to order and just, you know, and really kind of simplify. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and then going forward right now, um, kind of partnered up, uh, with Patrick Henry, um, who's a beverage marketing agency out of, uh, out of Houston does a fantastic job. So we're using them, um, for their services and really directionally just kind of want to, again, you know, simplify going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just something as, as easy as, you know, lemon and lime juice, you know, that we're using in margaritas and lemonades and things like that, just to really want to start squeezing that fresh with just a simple press. Um, I, I think just, it makes such a huge difference and a freshness and a brightness. And we're really trying to do that across the food side of the menu. So matching it, you know, on the beverage side just makes sense, you know, were you, we I say we we typically get some pushback on the operator side and the bartenders when they're like, oh, we gotta we gotta squeeze fresh juice now. But they see that it really only takes, you know, 15, 20 minutes, depending on volume, to to do enough juice for the day or a day and a half. And then when they actually try the product, they're they're just kind of you know kind of blown away. Yeah, you know. it does make a big difference. For well, for sure.
0: But as far as, um, do you, are you looking into batching any cocktails or doing cocktails on tap or anything like that?
1: that, that that's a great question. One of the, the other pieces of, you know, on the innovation side that we're talking, um, that you had asked about, really want to come up with a signature drink item for Smokey Bones and, and for a lack of better terms, whether it's, you know, Capital Grill, whether Stoli doly does an amazing job with that. It's on the back bar. Everybody sees it. Um, you know, some of the other competitors that are doing margaritas, it's almost like every single table has one of those signature drinks on it. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons why they're, they're there and they do so well with it is because they either batch it or it's on draft or it's on tap. So that for sure is something that we're looking at ease of execution, trying to get a drink in front of a guest, you know, within five minutes in order to get that, that second one, I think is, is huge. So Mm -hmm. for sure. I think batching and something on on draft or or something that's on the back bar that can just come out of a you know out of a tap or something would be super helpful.
0: Right. Are you still doing cocktails to go in any of the locations? Or I know a lot of states are cutting back on that now.
1: Yeah, we we are. are wherever we can do it and wherever the municipality will allow us to do it, um, for sure, whether it's a ready-to-drink cocktail or you know, we're we're mixing up you know, a a batch, let's say a margarita and keeping it, you know, separate. And then when you get it to the uh, location, they'll they'll add add ice to it or something like that, but wherever we can do it, for sure. We're trying to do it. Um, some of the States I think are going to allow it going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, and then other States have already, you know, they're getting ready to pull back. You know, I think, you know, the biggest challenge to me on the beverage side, um, and the consumer typically, whether, you know, they would bring a bottle of wine into the restaurant or, you know, the corkage fee and things like that, you typically save the most when you're the consumer, right? By mm-hmm. having, you know, the liquor, or alcohol, wine, beer, you know, at home. So I, I think that's going to be a continuing challenge for, you know, kind of that off premise and the to-go piece um, to get the consumer to buy that because it's just really just it's so much easier to swing by and grab a six pack or a bottle of wine or something from a from a store um, rather than to pay an exorbitant amount you know on the, right. on the food service.
0: But there are a lot of people who don't know how to make cocktails. So that could be
1: a good a good Yeah no, for, for sure. And and you know there's you know we've been messing around with you know that CPU and their, you know the kind of retail packaging and things. And I think if you could do something that you could secure in a bottle. And then just say, hey, pour it over ice when you get it home, right. um, for, for sure. And there's, there's so many of those ready-to-drink cocktails that are coming out. It's just, you know, from a price standpoint, it, it's, it's tough to make the economics work, you know. So mixing it in-house, and as long as you can package it, I, I think that's, that for sure is an avenue to go.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about what's next. Without giving away any secrets, can you talk about what might be coming up on the menu or what you just released in, on your
1: June menu? Yeah, well, absolutely. That's, I'm glad you asked. We've got a got a LTO drop uh, at the end of August. So August 31st, um, we're doing another menu insert drop um, and to kind of build on the kind of meat is what we do and being very protein forward. Super excited. We um, secured um, some 16 ounce bone in USDA prime strips. Um from a supplier that I had a relationship with, that you know they were producing some porterhouses and some T-bones, um, so I would call it, you know, it, quote unquote byproduct, but uh, fantastic item. I don't think there's anybody in our segment, in that casual segment, that has done or will do, um, you know, a whole muscle middle meat in in a USDA prime. Um, you know, we're a little bit smaller than than some of the big boys out there. At You know, at 60 units and things, so we don't need a ton of product, but super excited to be able to feature a USDA prime item in a casual restaurant at a price point. Uh, to me, it's going to be a huge value for the guest. You know, typically, you know, prime steakhouses right now, there's probably nothing on their menu less than
0: $60.
1: Mm. Um, and we're going to feature this steak right around, you know, probably $39 or $40. We'll we will keep it under $40. Right. So super excited about that.
0: And how about um, after, you know, in the fall or, are other more cuts that you're looking into then or more global flavors or anything like that?
1: Yep. So, you know, I had mentioned that, that pork shank. Um, and again, trying to, you know, kind of round out the program. Um, we'll bring back the big beef rib again. So we kind of hit pause on that um, from June until about, you know, October, we'll bring that big short plate uh, beef Uh, rib back we'll feature that with the bone in New York strip as well as the pork porterhouse and the and the pork shank so just trying to round it out we've got some some higher end what I would consider a super premium item for us in that beef rib and that that prime steak and then something a little bit more affordable but also like that pork shank it's it's almost a pound you know come out with a big pile of onion rings on it and sauce um, it eats fantastic, so I, I just, you know, I think going into holidays, going into cold weather, especially with the amount of stores we've got in the Northeast and the Midwest, that uh, that those would be great items. I love
0: braised pork and braised beef. That's one yeah. of my personal favorites.
1: That, that That to me, you know, when you kind of love what you do and, you, you know, from a culinary perspective, I think that's where you really kind of see somebody actually, you know, what I would consider cooking versus, you know, kind of food handling. Um, Those low and slow braises, whether it's, you know, pork shank or asabuco or, you know, braising a brisket instead of, you know, smoking it. I love that food for sure.
0: Well, it sounds yummy. Um, As far as personally and professionally, what are you most looking forward to as we move into the end of 2021 and into 2022?
1: Yeah, I actually, I think this question, I thought about this a lot over the last couple of months, and, and it, I think the two of them kind of go hand in hand, you know, personally, professionally, just I want to be able to go out to restaurants. I want to get back to, you know, being, you know, in a, in a restaurant that came up with a new concept or a new item. And I want to see guys, you know, back in, in our restaurants as well. It's, you know, fortunately, smokey Bones has come out on the other side of this. In, in pretty good shape and we've kept our clientele and we're pretty diverse in the, you know, geographically, but I'm so looking forward to getting people back into restaurants and seeing food, you know, how it was meant and intended to be, you know, it's um, the third party and the delivering it to go has been a necessity, especially in certain areas. But from a culinary standpoint, it, it's tough sometimes to keep seeing food go in a box and I don't think that that's how we were meant to eat. So it'd be nice for sure to get back, get people back in the restaurant.
0: Thanks so much for sharing all these insights and ideas, Peter. Please join us for another episode of Menu Feed as we explore more food and drink trends. The podcasts are now available to download on Spotify and Apple.